The Nation State of Play podcast is produced by IBC Media in San Diego, California. Hi, and welcome to Nation State of Play. I'm your host, Brian Miller. On each episode of this podcast, we explore high-impact topics determining the future of our nation state. Well, Joey, thanks so much for being on the show today. It's a pleasure to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So would you mind starting, telling our listeners a little bit about your organization, who you represent, and what you focus on? Yeah, hi, my name is Joey Williams. I'm the director of organizing at the California Native Vote Project. Um, During the 2016 election, we saw a huge need and gap in California for the the opportunity actually to organize and build Native voting power. So the California Native Vote was formed to really come together to build the power of Native voting. But more importantly is to find out what unites us across California Indian country. Uh, Much more, we know there's things that do divide us, but focusing on things that do. And uh, California Native Vote Project, we're a community-based organization. We do community organizing focused around policy change at the state and local level. That's going to help Native communities thrive positively across California. And we'll talk a little bit about that as we get into some of those policies. So so let's kind of give listeners a sense of the the terrain here in in terms of how many people we're talking about and, and where folks are located. So ballpark, how many Native Americans are in California? Well, ballpark in LA County, we probably have about 500,000 Native Americans and anywhere between 750 to a million across California. Right. Um, LA County has the highest concentration in the, the country of Native Americans through one is you know relocation, uh, things that happened in the 50s and 60s that brought Native communities out here as an attempt to kind of break apart the reservation and the claims to land that folks have you know, in numbers. Uh, so there's a lot of Native Americans here. They're, we're not geographically centered in any part of town, but dispersed throughout the city and county of Los Angeles, but having the highest concentration of Natives in LA County. And uh, of course, you know, the rest are throughout the rest of the, the state. And ballpark, how many are voter voting registration age, if, if you know, in any sense of how many voters we typically get? I don't have that, that number. And it's interesting you bring that up because in like a lot of other demographics, um, Native Americans have been one of the hardest to track inside uh, systems like Political Data Inc., PDI, which we generally use for elections. So we couldn't really, I couldn't necessarily give you a figure on that, but um, we are work, trying to work fervently with the uh, Secretary of State and other entities to figure out a better way to track Native Americans in the system and make sure that we're able to reach out to them to vote. So it kind of relies on self-identification in, in voter rolls and things like that, which, which is not, as we know, not a foolproof system for anyone, for sure. Yeah, we can cut turf in places where we know there's reservations or mm-hmm. rancherias, but most of the time, uh, you know, we'll have names of predominantly Native folks, but it's really hard to track. Like in PDI, I'm Joseph Williams. So the okay. way I vote and my registration, they've always had me as a Black voter, which I'm fine with. And, but I'm not black, obviously, I'm Native American, so I've been misidentified in the political data ink system, right? So we want to make sure whether it's the Secretary of State actually puts a designation on the form, which we'd like it to be the first thing on the voter reg form is, are you American Indian Alaska Native? That way we would actually have that data. So we want to pull our voter files to contact voters or to do voter outreach in the off years that we'd be able to do that. So it's still a work in progress. Is there a census designation? For, forgive me for not knowing that. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. Actually, okay. uh, populations, I think, increased by 100%. Okay. 
over the last census from last year. So more folks are identifying as native and indigenous uh, on the designation. Okay, so can you then give us a little bit of sense of the geography? This has been confusing to me. I, I know there's reservations sort of scattered throughout the state and we've, some, we've had um, some historic tribal lands where this casino uh, political issues popping up. Uh, and any way that we, can, we should think about that in, in terms of historically, what, what was going on in California to ground us in this conversation? Yeah, we got to remember in California that, like I mentioned uh, before, there's 190 uh, tribal governments across California before contact. So we definitely, with the Spanish who came first, you know, as settler colonists, and then the, the English or Americans came, uh, there's been a brutal history with natives across California Indian country, a lot of massacres, a lot of theft of lands and uh, different things. You know, the mission system has been something that folks have praised as helping natives when right here in uh, Tongva lands where I'm at in Los Angeles, right there on Oveda Street in downtown, they had a village called Yanga, where they actually were auctioning off slaves right across from the mission they just built. So it was a, um, the California mission system and the Spanish used it as a way to enslave and to push people into the mission system. So a lot of lands were taken, but when the Spanish were pushed out through the war, uh, when it became Mexico and the United States took over, we saw there was uh, some tribes that are fairly recognized and those tribes will have reservation land. So you have folks like the Thule folks, you'll have folks like the uh, San Manuel folks uh, that have a reservation, but not all, there's, there's lots of tribes in California. Not all of them are federally recognized. Some are state recognized or some have lost their recognition uh, or had it terminated and are looking for something called restoration. Like my tribe, we're called, they call us the Kawaiazu. I identify as the Nua, which means the people, the Kern Valley Indian community. We've been fighting for restoration and to get recognized again for 20 years, right? So there are thriving tribal communities in California that don't have federal recognition. And with federal recognition comes the ability to build, uh, you could build a casino and uh, be able to create per capita and things like that that'll help benefit members of your tribe and also you know, for resources and uh, health and education services that folks need. I don't want to get too distracted on the casino issue, but there's always a lot of um, you know, sort of barbed wire politics going on in the state about it. So I, I, I do want to make sure I understand how this works from the federal level. So correct me if I, I have any of this wrong. So is it that the federal government has to find that there was a historic presence of the tribe on that particular land? Do I have that right so far? Yes, to my knowledge is that there's been a record of your people there and that you have numbers and that your, your history and your traditions, your culture and language is something that has been preserved over uh, the years. You know? So that's really some of the main components that help build the case for uh, federal recognition or restoration. Gotcha. And then, so, so to get the, uh, uh, any particular casino approved, both the state and the federal government has to approve that. Do I have that right? Well, technically the state doesn't, but okay. when, tribal, when tribal gaming happened, like their independent you know, trust lands, so they're able to operate it on their own. They went through the state because it's illegal uh, on state lands to do casinos, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the type of casinos with slot machines and things like that. So they, in good faith, went through the state and the state began to regulate it. 
but I, I don't believe there's like a, on the books that you have to be regulated by the state. It's just something that federal tribes have done since they started gaming. What is it? Right. 20, 30 years ago. Gotcha. Okay. So that's, that's helpful background. Um, so I'd like to talk a little bit about what you're doing in Sacramento. You have an interesting bill. I think it's AB 1703. Can, can you give us an overview of that and what it would try to accomplish? Yeah. So I don't know if folks are aware, but in Riverside, California, in October, there was a video circulated of a, a teacher who has since been terminated as of last month. Her name was Candace Reed. She was jumping around in the classroom captured on video by a student trying to teach uh, trigonometry or some type of math with some Sukkotoa language, but trying to use native culture, but jumping around with feathers, a headdress, which are sacred uh, to peoples, not necessarily peoples in California, but not everyone has headdresses, drums, or uh, beat drums, or you know, some have bird songs. Uh, not all tribes are monolithic, but jumping around and making animal noises and being very offensive to the Native American student who was in the classroom. And that was captured on video and it went viral. What it really exposed was a deeper, Candace Reed was a, a symptom of a deeper problem of what white supremacy, institutional structural racism has created, which was um, a disregard and erasure of Native Americans from uh, curriculum and from society. And this is a trauma that a lot of folks carry, even myself, as I remember being a young kid and having my teacher say, all the Mexican kids on this side of the class and all the white kids on this side. For whatever reason, that did that left me sitting in the middle and all my homeboys on, you know, Latino, uh, Mexican homeboys were like, hey, Joey, get over here. You're one of us. And technically we are, we're indigenous, you know, to this hemisphere. So it made sense. And I always was able to operate. But it showed me that there was no room for Native Americans inside the American or the United States school system or in California. So what 1703 sets to do is for local districts like Riverside to create task force, which they, are, they have created a task force made up of the superintendent, assembly member James Ramos, who's the author of the bill and the only, of 1703 and the only California tribal native inside of the legislature, who's the California, California tribe, Sam Manuel, former chairman, and what it says to do is that local districts would have to work with local task force. We got one of our partners at Inland Congregations United for Change, uh, Zara Hutado appointed to that commission, and another ally of ours at the Corona tribe, uh, Chief Negretti, is on that task force as well, is that they would have to work, districts have to work with local task force to create curriculum that teach the local history of Native Americans in that area. And uh, what 1703 will strongly urge uh, districts to do that. And uh, there's a story Assembly Member Ramos told, I believe, uh, in the Select Committee a few weeks ago at the Assembly, in the Native American Affairs Select Committee in the Assembly, is that a teacher getting up and asking, playing a Plains Indian song with drums and asking the kids to tell everyone what it meant, the Native students in the class. And the Native students were like, we don't know, we're not Plains Indians, we're not from that tribe, we are we sing, we have bird songs and we have this. She's like, oh, sit down. You must not be native and you don't understand. God. Those types of things are very harmful to students. Uh, very harmful and it causes a lot of trauma. Like I said, of not belonging, of being erased and of, you know, of shame of, you know, being a Native American. Told you're not native enough by a, by a teacher um, is very impactful on a student.
you know, in a negative way. So what 1703 seeks to do is that we begin to teach a true history of the native peoples who are still, who were here and still live and thrive on the lands that they're currently living on and going to school on and learning about. That's what the spirit of 1703 would do. So I think you said it would just strongly encourage school districts to do that. So it's not a mandate. It's not a mandate. The original bill 1554 uh, ACA6 was a mandate. I think the problem with that, from what I've been hearing, is that, you know, with the chair of the committee, um, O'Donnell out of Long Beach, is that the education committee and assembly side is that it's very, um, people don't have a concept of what I shared with you, that there was 190 tribal governments before. Mm-hmm. And that we are going to be forced to teach something we don't know about could be very intimidating. Uh, but with districts like Riverside, and we're also working in LA Unified, we want to adopt it similar. We're figuring as districts proactively begin to do this, that many others, like in Sacramento, San Juan, we're going to unify, we're going to be asking them to take the same measure, is that it's usually going to be a district by di- district campaign. that by the time we get around to it, we could have it mandated hopefully within two to four years. In a, in a follow-up bill. So you see this as a state and local advocacy effort. You're, you're doing both. You're, you're, you're basically going district by district and trying to get the bill passed at the state level. Yeah, that's going to be the, the plan. Right. So are, are there any districts that are doing this well now? Can, can you give us a sense of, of anybody who's, who's actually doing this appropriately? You know, there are districts that are working in Northern California to implement this in a, in a really good way, but I can't, I, I don't want to name the district that I want to misidentify them but let me think real quickly um i can't say right now that i know any districts that are doing it like at the level where we think it would be you know a pro it's still in the infancy stages across many districts i feel like some of the smaller districts are on a, on a better road like i mentioned san juan unified feels like they're taking you know more intentional uh proactive steps to be able to uh implement it so when you talk to the local districts, I mean, this seems like such good common sense. Do you get any pushback? Like, what, what do you hear? And what do you hear when you go and meet with school officials on this? I think like, particularly with Riverside, we, um, you get a lot of lip service, I believe, in the moment. For mm-hmm. one, the district don't want to look bad. They want to uh, save face and look like they're doing really meaningful changes, right? So they create a task force, right? Some of the three things that we developed in our campaign is one is that we want the district of Riverside to have issue a formal apology. Like you did harm, you know, your teacher who's been doing this for decades that you allowed her to do that. A formal apology of wrongdoing. And then by Candace Reed, because we feel like the bigger things are like tribal consultation is really what we want that Riverside needs to strongly, like the task force they had, they created it. Um, with Assemblymember Ramos, uh, Superintendent Renee Hill, and community, the members I had mentioned, the community members, and they canceled the meeting last month already. And this is after the teacher was fired. So I think people feel like cosmetic changes are going to be good, but w- like we shouldn't be canceling meetings right now in the, when we're in the, the fight to really, in the opportunity to really transform it in a good way. We should be working, not canceling meetings. So we're hoping that we're not getting lip service, like, hey, we're going to form a task force and we're kind of going to talk about things, but nothing's really going to happen. I feel like our role is to make sure and push that 
tribal consultation does happen, the curriculum is set, and that we have new ways of identifying Native students. Riverside Unified says there's 10 students inside their whole district that are Native American. LA Unified, and I mentioned there's 500,000 people, they said there's uh, 242 Native American students in the whole district. We know those numbers are wrong. There, there has not been a, 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 this is part of the erasure of Native students. Once we have a good way of tracking and identifying those students and create the numbers, I believe that we're gonna have the legitimacy and the opportunity to really make the case that this is gonna be important and we need to do it right now. So we're hoping that we're not encountering lip service and cosmetic changes, but, the, but we get to the root cause of what has been causing this. And the district doesn't necessarily need to be reformed. It needs to be dismantled and rebuilt, you know, in a way that's gonna be conducive, not just to native students. The first people who called me and were angry about what happened at Riverside was my black friends and allies in Riverside and asking, hey, how do we support you? Because they've been feeling the same thing for years of not feeling like they belong, their history is not taught. And also other indigenous folks from, from Central and South America and also um, Latino folks, Mexicans and other Latinos whose uh, culture is untied. And it goes back to that, like I said, that root of you know, white supremacy um, and structural institutional racism that we need to dismantle. So it's gonna be probably a two front, one dis dismantling and creating and still pushing and reforming at the same time while we're doing it. So uh, that's all helpful. Any other uh, bills or initiatives in Sacramento before we move back to the state level, uh, sort of the municipal level that, that you're focused on in Sacramento for the time being? Not one that we're particularly offering, but there is an uproar right now and a lot of fear that's being propagated by not just Republicans, but Democrats, moderate Democrats inside of California around crime. We saw the war on drugs and the war on poor people, you know, during the Reagan, Nixon and Reagan administration, it completely devastated communities of color and Native Americans. Native Americans have the highest incarceration rates and the highest uh, that are brutalized by the police per capita. And right now there's a, a big uproar to, uh, to repeal Prop 47, which would give the opportunity to criminalize and uh, give felonies, uh, primarily to more people of color and poor people to get them back into the prison system. So there's been a big push by sheriffs, by uh, uh, police departments and other folks to, uh, which voters in 2014, overwhelmingly 60% of the California electorate of Democrats, Republicans and independents voted to pass Prop 47 because we can no longer go down this road of incarcerating people at the rate we were doing. Um, 70,000 incarcerate someone per year and we're only spending 10,000 for educating a child. You know, there's something wrong there. So I feel Californians were not ready to go back down that road. They tried to repeal it in 2020 with Prop 20, it failed. And, uh, but we just recently in the legislature pushed back a bill, um, I believe it's AB 1559. It was authored uh, by Lackey, uh, a Republican out of the Antelope Valley. And it was sitting to uh, ask the legislature to repeal Prop 47. And it went to public safety committee, but ourselves, we wrote a letter, we showed up to the hearing and tons of allies and we're able to get that bill defeated inside of the committee, the public safety committee uh, this week on a Tuesday or Wednesday. So that was a big victory. 
So a lot of this is like going on offense and also playing some defense as we want to make sure we're not going back down that road of locking up on people. So let me ask you about voter registration. Um, this, this has been a hot topic in California for as long as I can re- remember. And we're getting to fairly good statewide numbers. I think the last I saw was something like 85% of eligible people were registered, um, but that still suggests um, hundreds of thousands uh, of people not registered who could be. What do you, what do, you do in this space? Well, one, one thing that emerged out of the pandemic that was really great, something we've been doing in California for a lot of years is that we have had people that you could, when you register to vote, you can register to vote by mail. And uh, we urge everyone to register by mail because if you get a ballot, you're 67% more likely to fill it out and turn it back in than if going to the polls. Election days are always on a work day. It's hard to go down especially if you're elderly, you live in a remote area. But something that Gavin Newsom did during the 2020 election was every Californian got a a mail ballot. And in California in 2020, our turnout was 80% of registered voters turned out. In of registered voters total, not, you're not talking about Native American communities, right? Yeah, of registered voters turned out. So what we're seeing is that the mail ballot is going to be good as far as, you know, it's a big... um, push right now, you know, especially after, you know, I call it White Wednesday, June 6th at the Capitol, you know, whether, you know, the uprising and the... January 6th, you mean? Yeah, January 6th, around, uh, you know, the voter fraud and the election being stolen. A lot of states that passed, like, very harsh voter laws, and then we've seen California kind of go the opposite, where we've got opened up voting. We've now set up... uh, vote by mail. There's a VCA counties. You can, up, uh, you can opt in to VC, VCA county. We've seen a lot of the more conservative counties. I'm from Kern County. We've seen them like resist, you know, implementing it really quickly. Fresno County has, and we actually saw voter turnout, like even in a primary go up to 50%. So what we're seeing with like VCA voters choice act, it gives you 11 days to vote. You get a mail ballot. You can walk into a vote center. You can drop it out of box as we're increasing ways that people can vote we're gonna be seeing California shift. And I don't have the exact numbers as far as our turnout for 2020 around mail ballots, because I said that's very hard to track. But collectively as California registered voters, we're seeing a higher turnout of about 80% in the 2020. That's been across the board. Yeah, we even got to 60, about 60% of the Newsom recall, which is for for an off year unusual election. That's, I think that um, is, is another indication those numbers have taken up. What about the unregistered folks, though? Um, are you doing anything to still try to get more Native Americans registered who are not getting those mail-in ballots yet? We go to powwows and we go to uh, events that are happening. We make a calendar and we show up and we talk about California Native Vote Project. But we also give them opportunities to register to vote. But something we've been doing on the back end, too, is supporting legislation where there's going to be uh, there's automatic voting. So if you go to the DMV... Right. You sign up for your license or your ID card, you'd automatically get registered to vote unless you opt out. You could opt out. And so these are like California is like changing the way that, you know, voting happens, you know, instead of opting in, you're opting out. You know, so if you really, really don't want to vote, you could opt out. And so these have been ways that we're helping the community get registered to vote. Um, A lot of it is happening online now, Mm. you know, and that's a traditional form. You know, forms are like a legal document and our native communities don't necessarily want to give all that information. 
You know, they don't want to give their address where they live and in places like that. As you can imagine from our long history, there's a deep distrust of the government from uh, Native Americans, and rightfully so, you know, with the long history of genocide and, uh, and uh, theft of lands, you know, and broken treaties. So... Sure. Yeah, I mean, this this stuff certainly has helped, as you as you say. I mean, we we've been consistently taking up not just in turnout and registration, um, but I I would say the the missing piece is off year elections. I think the jury's still out when we're not in a presidential year. Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned that we got to I think eighty percent in twenty twenty. I'm pretty worried about this cycle though. Um, I, I think still to be determined how many people actually show up when there's not a presidential race on the ballot. And we've got some really important congressional races, statewide races, municipal races, all kinds of stuff going on. It, just it, any thoughts on on that topic of, of how to get people to vote, election in, election out, not not just when you know Trump is on the ballot or something like that. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because uh, I'd made a prediction that you know, it's pretty clear, like, not just in Native communities, but across that, you know, it's not just Republicans, but Democrats have a deep misunderstanding of racial justice and, like, um, particular Native communities. But uh, I predict there's going to be a big shift in the, the midterm, like, folks aren't going to show up. I think generally even liberal allies tend to think, like, the Democrats have it all figured out. But we know that's not true. Yeah. And they're, like, more likely to stay home. Uh, because I feel like they like the racism more subtle, like the Democrats, instead of explicit, like Trump, Trump's unclassy racism. And we don't want that in the White House. And I feel like that is going to be the how the election is going to shake out. But in California, because all politics are local, I have a feeling we may not have the same problem. I think people are engaged, particularly in Los Angeles and the Bay Area, even more in the Central Valley as voting power is shifting you know, down the, we call it the reverse Fishhook, uh, going through the Central Valley and coming under LA, right above Orange County and San Diego, is that, um, you know, the midterm, as I mentioned, there's going to be a, uh, everyone's going to get a mail ballot. So I anticipate that there'll probably be about 10 or 15% uptick in midterm elections. And I feel like local races are going to be good, but I feel like assembly and like congressional races are going to be really tough because they're the ones that are most disengaged from the community like they're the ones that are the furthest out when you say going to be tough you mean get tough to get people focused on those races i I, there's going to be a challenge for those that wish to stay in power yeah i got i got yeah further you go up the harder i feel it's going to be i feel the more local you're going to be because like look at la county they elected George Gascon. They're fighting back a recall. They have all women on the board of supervisors in LA County, right? It's like, they are super engaged. The elections, are, there's a mayor's race this, this year. We have a governor's race. So I feel like these things are very exciting, but I feel for like state senators, um, congressional candidates, they're gonna have their work cut out for them because everyone's entrenched with their local electeds, but not so much with their more 30,000 feet electeds who have bigger districts and who are kind of unaccessible, inaccessible. Yeah, gotcha. Um, well, we, we got a few minutes left. Any other uh, topics you're focused on that we haven't had a chance to touch on? No, I think, um, no, I think we're good. I, yeah, I think uh, the election is just, uh, 
going to be really key. But we also do, we do have, and I, I guess the answer is yes, we do have the um, aspirations. We do want to see California, I believe, as the fifth largest economy. We don't have to wait for the federal government to give a lot of the things that um, we were waiting on from the federal government. Like there's an opportunity to do reparations already. And one of those reparations I would like to see from the state of California, considering the long uh, history of mistreatment and uh, of Native Americans is to see every native in California be able to access a UC and CSU tuition free. Uh, well, would love to have you talk back to talk about that. We've got a lot of UC CSU drama these days, the Berkeley story about cutting enrollment being the most notable example. So um, that's, that's probably worth a whole episode on UC CSU reform. Um, I would love, would love to hear your thoughts on that one, but you got a lot of great information on your website. Appreciate everything you're doing where if people want to find out more about your work, get involved, where should they go to, to read that? They can go on our website, uh, www.canativevote.org. And they could also reach out to me at uh, jwilliams at canativevote.org. You were nice enough to put your, your email on the site and on the show. So uh, everybody be, uh, be, be polite, be, be gentle, please. He's, he's, uh, he's opening himself up to all of our listeners. But now we, we good, good, good folks listen. Well, Joey, listen, thanks for what you're doing. Um, really appreciate the chance to talk about these issues, raise the profile them a little bit in Sacramento. And uh, look forward to having you back, hopefully on the show as things progress for you. Yeah, no problem. We invite you to share story ideas, comments, and questions. Find us at NeptuneOps.com or on Twitter at at NationStateOfP1. Again, that's at NationStateOfP and then the number one. Follow us and subscribe to listen to all of our episodes as we continue to explore the inside stories driving California policy. This is the Nation State of Play podcast, exploring the inside political stories driving public policy in California. Powered by Neptune Ops and presented by IBC Media. I'm your host, Brian Miller, and thank you for listening.